If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. Credit Suisse hits pause on its annual report after a surprise call from the SEC. Plus, President Biden wants to shave trillions off the federal deficit. And can the U.S. and China stop their downward spiral of hostility? Good outcomes are very hard to see. Two countries really are talking past each other, and senior leaders don't have much regular dialogue. It's Thursday, March 9th. I'm Luke Vargas with The Wall Street Journal, and here's the AM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories moving your world today. Cities across Ukraine have been hit by one of Russia's biggest missile barrages this year. The commander-in-chief of Ukraine's armed forces said that Russia had launched 81 missiles and eight Iranian-made attack drones, some of which were intercepted. Journal reporter Marcus Walker is in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, and sent us this report from a busy street this morning. It began at around midnight and went on until about 7 o'clock in the morning. I heard some loud bangs during the night from Ukraine's air defense missiles and then an extremely loud boom when one Russian missile hit a heating and power plant in Kiev. Today there are power outages in parts of Kiev, parts of Odessa, all of Kharkiv it seems. We will see how long it takes those cities to restore their power supply. But by about 8 o'clock in the morning here in Kiev, the city was returning to normal. J.P. Morgan is suing former executive Jess Staley over his ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Last year, an unnamed woman alleged the bank had aided Epstein's sex trafficking by allowing Epstein to remain a client. She also said that a friend of Epstein had sexually assaulted her, but was afraid to identify him publicly. However, on Wednesday, J.P. Morgan said that friend was Staley. J.P. Morgan's lawsuit allows the bank to argue that Staley should have to pay damages if the bank is held responsible. The lender has sought to have the lawsuits dismissed, saying it didn't know about Epstein's alleged crimes and can't be held liable. A lawyer for Staley declined to comment. Staley, who left J.P. Morgan in 2013, was once considered a possible successor to CEO Jamie Dimon. He later became chief executive of Barclays before resigning in 2021 amid a UK regulatory probe into his ties to Epstein. Crypto lender Silvergate Capital says it's shutting down and will return all of its deposits. The California bank was one of the crypto market's top lenders until a bank run fueled by the collapse of FTX forced it to sell assets at a steep loss in order to cover billions in withdrawals. Silvergate's decline makes it one of the few non-crypto companies to go out of business as a result of the crypto market route. And President Biden will propose cutting the federal budget deficit by nearly $3 trillion over the coming decade when he unveils his 2024 budget plan later today. 
Journal reporter Joe Wallace has the details. So there's a lot in here. One of the measures proposed would be to reprise a series of tax increases that the Biden administration couldn't get through the last Congress. For example, the president again wants to raise taxes on private equity managers' carried interest income, according to White House officials. Another element of the plan is to try to lower the government's spending on drugs. The plan includes proposals that would save more than $200 billion over a decade by imposing new rules on the pharmaceutical industry, according to the White House. The plan would allow Medicare to negotiate prices for more drugs and to bring them into negotiations sooner after they launch. While Biden's proposal is unlikely to gain momentum in a divided Congress, its release will kick off months of spending negotiations with lawmakers. We got some major news from Credit Suisse today as the bank announced that it will delay the publication of its 2022 annual report that had been due out this morning. That surprise statement comes after the Swiss lender received a late call from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on Wednesday night. And for more on this developing story, we're joined by journal finance editor Alex Frangos. Let's get right into it. What has Credit Suisse said this morning? Basically, just that they got a last-minute call from the SEC, you know, asking some questions about the way it treated some cash flow statements in previous years, in 2021, and before that, the bank said it was better to clarify what the SEC was asking about and delay the report until it knows more. Yeah, I was going to say all of this is is pretty out of the ordinary, right? Yeah, I mean, usually these things just tick along and the banks, they tell you weeks in advance when they're going to put out their annual report and they generally do it on time. I mean, it does happen that there are delays for various reasons. But, you know, investors are already pretty nervous about this bank and they don't like these sorts of hiccups. Yeah, fit this development into that bigger story about Credit Suisse. What is the background to all of this? Well, I mean, Credit Suisse is a you know legendary name in international banking and on Wall Street. But the last couple of years, it's had a series of scandals and major losses. There was the Archegos blow up and Greensill. Their chairman had to leave because he broke COVID quarantine. It's just kind of an endless series of problems. And, and last fall, they are having a big outflow of client money. And then there was kind of a frenzy among online investors questioning the health of the bank that it struggled to get through. It recently raised all sorts of fresh capital from investors and has said that it has a plan to get things back on track. But every time it says it's going to get things back on track, it runs into some other little hurdle or major hurdle. Finally, Alex, I can imagine investors will want to learn a lot more about what is really going on here. When can we expect to know more about this SEC phone call? Yeah, Credit Suisse didn't say exactly. They did give a little bit of a hint in their statement saying that they were delaying the publication briefly. I don't want to speculate on what briefly may mean, but that seemed to be a signal that they were hoping to resolve it relatively quickly. That was Wall Street Journal finance editor Alex Frangos. Alex, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Coming up, China and the U.S. plunged further into a spiral of hostility this week, but can they draw the line at merely verbal attacks? We'll consider that after the break. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. 
If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. Let's turn our focus now to the escalating war of words between China and the United States after China's top leadership unleashed a series of verbal attacks against Washington in recent days. Those allegations, including that the U.S. is suppressing China's development and driving the two countries toward conflict, raising some serious questions about where the relationship is headed and what, if anything, could serve to calm the situation. And for some answers, I'm joined by journal reporter James Arity, who covers China for us out of New York. James, how serious are these verbal attacks on the U.S. that we've been hearing from China's leaders? Well, we all know that China and the U.S. have major problems. But what we've seen is some unusual commentary from Xi Jinping, the top leader, who sets the tone for everyone underneath him in the government. And it is a serious ramp up in terms of the way he normally speaks. Xi Jinping would normally not criticize the U.S. publicly. It not only gives permission for lower level officials to frame the U.S. relationship in those ways, but it also demonstrates some frustration, it seems, from Xi Jinping himself because the lower levels of the government have been more clear about the difficult relationship with the U.S. and have used some of this Cold War type speech in the past. And as a way of maybe trying to understand that, James, what has happened to get us to this point? The relationship has been deteriorating almost since Xi Jinping came to power in 2012. It got worse under the Trump administration, and it certainly hasn't gotten better under the Biden administration. And there are a lot of data points, there are a lot of actions along the way from a trade war to restrictions on tech exports from the United States and warnings from President Biden that we're in an existential fight between autocracies and democracies. The surprising thing is, is that these comments from Xi Jinping come at a time when we were expecting big efforts by both governments to put a floor under this deteriorating relationship. Yeah, and on that, how has the United States been responding to these verbal attacks? The U.S. has not responded in any meaningfully different way. The Biden administration continues to emphasize that it is seeking competition with China, not conflict. And they are pointing out that this is a consequential bilateral relationship, probably the most consequential one that the U.S. has. And they really do not want to see an escalation in rhetoric and certainly not in action. Though it's not just spokespeople or administration officials that contribute to the state of the relationship. That's exactly right. The U.S. Congress has a different voice. So obviously what the president of the United States says doesn't echo down the line of command in the same way that it might in China. And Congress has been very tough. There have been a number of new hearings in the Republican-controlled House that are aimed specifically at China and the Chinese Communist Party. So the rhetoric from Congress is already very, very tough. 
So, okay, we have hardliners on both sides of this equation, and we have been reporting that essentially now the U.S. and China are in a downward spiral of hostilities. How far down does that go? Where could that lead? The big concern is that the U.S. and China are on some kind of trajectory where there's a military clash. Taiwan is an obvious potential flashpoint. There are military planners in both countries looking at various scenarios of how some kind of conflict might unfold between China and the U.S. In the Pentagon, the Wall Street Journal has reported there are concerns that it is not ready for a conflict because of the kind of conflict that China has been preparing for if it were to try to take Taiwan isn't exactly the kind of conflict that the U.S. military is built to resist. And it's not even clear how or if the U.S. would get involved in a military effort by China to take over Taiwan. There are certainly Pentagon planners that see a, an invasion by China of Taiwan in the next several years. There are others who say China isn't ready either. James, that's clearly the worst-case scenario out of all this, but are there off-ramps available either to Beijing or to Washington that could serve to stop us short of conflict? There are certainly bad potential outcomes. Good outcomes between the U.S. and China, they're very hard to see. Two countries really are talking past each other, and senior leaders on both sides don't have much regular dialogue. Something that we're really looking for next is whether U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken can reschedule a visit to Beijing. That meeting was canceled in the wake of the suspected Chinese spy balloon that was spotted over Montana. And there does need to be some kind of resumption of ties. You know, analysts who are looking at ways to go forward say that both sides can cool tensions. That was Wall Street Journal reporter James Arity, who covers China for us out of New York. James, thanks. Thank you for having me. And finally, can the U.S. Army be all that it can be? To do that, it will have to boost recruitment, following a challenging year in which a tight labor market gave young people other options, and in which pandemic school closures hit high school recruiting hard, leading only 45,000 people to enlist. So to try and hit a target of 65,000 recruits this year, the force will use prep courses to help young people qualify for the service and its rebranding or re-rebranding by reinstating the Be All You Can Be slogan that it used from 1981 to the early 2000s. Be all you can be. It is a line that Army Secretary Christine Warmoth told reporters in D.C. this week that she still thinks resonates. It's a tagline that stands the test of time. Uh, it evokes limitless possibilities for people from all walks of life. And I think with 178 military occupational specialties, the Army offers more possibilities than ever. Our message is clear. It is if you want to push yourself, if you are up for a challenge, the Army has a place for you um, and come and join us. And that's what's news for Thursday morning. We'll be back tonight with a new show. I'm Luke Vargas with The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. <laughs>